these words in this uh, first part of a passage I'll share from Representative John Creasel uh, are a bit graphic. Uh, Representative Creasel lost both of his legs when a landmine blew up the Humvee he and some of his uh, fellow soldiers were in while they were serving in Iraq. And I'll come back to this reading in the sermon. Here's what he says. I remember lying there looking down and seeing my legs mangled. I'd never seen human bones before, especially not my own. My right leg looked more like fresh hamburger than a leg. Oh God, my left arm was twisted into a pretzel. Blood was running out of wounds around my mouth. And worst of all, my flak vest opened up during the blast allowing my abdomen to take a direct hit. I thought, my life is going to end. And I remember then thinking about my wife and my kids. That's what crossed my mind, my wife and my kids, and that's what kept me fighting, the love I have for them. On this Memorial Day weekend, it seems important to acknowledge and to recognize those here in this congregation, those who have served or have a connection to one who has served our country. And so I would ask you, if you are currently serving, if you are a currently serving member of the armed forces or the reserves, I would ask you to stand or to raise your hand. If you have ever served in the armed forces, would you raise your hand or stand? If you are the parent of a person who is currently serving in the armed forces or the parent of someone who has served in the armed forces, would you please stand or raise a hand? And those of you that had a hand up, please keep those hands raised or standing, if you are the parent of one who serves. If you are the child, a son or a daughter of a person who is or has served in the armed forces, would you please stand or raise your hand? If you are the spouse or partner of a person in the armed forces, would you please stand or raise your hand? If someone in your family, immediate or extended, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a cousin, a brother, or a sister, someone in your family serves or has served, please raise your hand or stand. Look around. See how many are touched. See how many are touched. You may lower your hands. It's interesting. It's shocking. It's powerful. Perhaps not surprising how many of us are connected 
how many of us are connected to those who serve or have served our country. My grandfather served in World War II. He was on a submarine. That is my immediate connection. But I have Unitarian Universalist colleagues, ministers, who serve as military chaplains, who see it as their calling to serve men and women, whatever their religious beliefs or preferences, to serve those men and women in the armed forces. It is striking and powerful to see your hands in the air, to know many of us have that deep connection. And yet, and yet even though tomorrow is Memorial Day, it is the three-day weekend, and the gigantic flags and the paper and the sale selling mattresses and garden furniture, <laughs> it is the cabin getaways and the beer and the boating and the parties more often that come to mind when we think about Memorial Day, isn't it? Not for all of us, of course. But many of us, and I will include myself in this, many of us don't often take the time to really think about the soldiers who are coming home, the ones who aren't coming home, what it means. We don't think about those who serve. After all, Memorial Day is just the beginning of summer, right? And if we do honor the day, we understand it as a general day of remembrance for all those who have died and served in wars. It is sort of a place to lump that grief and the words of praise and honor and remembrance. But it is much more than that. Memorial Day issues a much deeper invitation to our heads and our hearts, and that's what I want to explore this morning with all of you. I recently came across the work of historian David Blight, a professor at Yale, and I want to share some of what I learned from him to share that with you, and I will quote him now extensively because this is powerful history I did not know. He writes, for the earliest and most remarkable Memorial Day, first known as Decoration Day, we must return to where the Civil War began, we must return to South Carolina. By the spring of 1865, he says, after a long sieged and prolonged bombardment, the beautiful port city of Charleston, South Carolina, lay in ruin. Among the first soldiers to enter and march up Meeting Street singing liberation songs, among the first of those soldiers was the 21st United States Colored Infantry. It was their commander who accepted the city's official surrender. Whites had largely abandoned the city, but thousands of blacks, mostly former slaves, had remained, and they conducted a series of commemorations to declare their sense of the meaning of the war. The largest of these events forgotten until I had some extraordinary luck in an archive at Harvard, says David Blight. The most remarkable of these events took place on May 1st, 1865. During the final year of the war, the Confederates had converted the city's Washington Racecourse and Jockey Club into an outdoor prison in Charleston. Union captives were held there in terrible conditions in the interior of the track. It was sort of an open-air prison. At least 257 died of disease and were hastily buried in a mass grave behind the grandstand. After the Confederate evacuation of Charleston, black workmen 
returned to the site, reburied the Union dead properly, and built a high fence around that cemetery behind the grandstand. They whitewashed the fence, and they built an archway over an entrance on which they inscribed the words, Martyrs of the Race Course. The symbolic power of this race course and jockey club, the symbolic power of that place, was not lost on these freed men. They knew it was where the wealth and the influence and the power had formerly resided. And so they, in cooperation with white missionaries and teachers, they staged a parade of 10,000 people onto that track. A New York Tribune correspondent witnessed this event and described it as a procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States had never seen before. Imagine this, 10,000 strong. The procession was led by 3,000 black school children. They were carrying armloads of roses and they were singing the Union marching song, John Brown's Body. John Brown, of course, was a well-known abolitionist. Several hundred black women followed these 3,000 black school children. Those women had baskets of flowers and wreaths and crosses to decorate these graves with. Then came black men marching in cadence, followed by contingents of Union infantrymen. Within the cemetery enclosure, a black children's choir sang, We'll rally round the flag. They sang the Star Spangled Banner. And they sang spirituals before a series of black ministers read from the Bible. Can you see this in your mind's eye, these children and women and men and Union soldiers gathered in this place? Historian David Blight continues. He says, the war was over and Decoration Day, what we now know as Memorial Day, he says, had been founded by African Americans in a ritual of remembrance and consecration. The war, this group, this group of 10,000, the war they had boldly announced had been all about the triumph of their emancipation over a slaveholder's republic. The war had been about the triumph of their emancipation over a slaveholder's republic and not about states' rights or defense of home, nor merely soldiers' valor and sacrifice. That's history I didn't know. Maybe some of you knew that, and clearly Memorial Day has evolved since then, rapidly since then. In fact, there's a reason for that. In quick order, after this gathering of May 1st in 1865, the nature of Memorial Day began to change. It became a tribute, perhaps fittingly, to soldiers on both sides and to the reunion of the North and the South after the war. There were still voices during that time, as journalist Adam Cohen reminds us, including Frederick Douglass, who insisted that Memorial Day should be about the battle between slavery and freedom. But the drive to make the holiday a sort of generic, a generic commemoration of the Civil War dead, that won out. Cohen continues, this new holiday was more inclusive and more useful to a forward-looking nation, eager to put its differences behind it. But something important was lost, he says. The recognition that the Civil War had been a moral battle to free black Americans 
from slavery. Today, I want us to know and remember that history. I want Memorial Day to be about more than just honoring the dead and leaving it at that. Memorial Day can also be a day for truth-telling. And in that spirit of truth-telling, I want to lift up just a few truths. I want us to remember that one of the first U.S. soldiers to die in Iraq, Jose Gutierrez, was not, at the time of his death, an American citizen. I want us to remember this Memorial Day. As journalist Mike Barber writes, that there are a growing number of men and women in uniform whose military service puts them on the fast track to citizenship. As the nation debates immigration and citizenship, thousands are signing up while still holding a green card. What this means is that many of our soldiers defend a country in which they do not have certain rights, including the right to vote for those who will ultimately send them to battle. I want us to remember that. And I want us as a people of faith to remember the true costs of war, to move beyond denial and numbness and distraction, to see clearly the financial and human costs, including, including the high, the extraordinarily high rates of depression and suicide among soldiers and veterans. I want us to remember in 2009 and in 2010, more U.S. soldiers killed themselves, committed suicide, than were killed in combat. That is over one soldier a day who took his or her own life. I want us to remember that. And though he is not one who took his own life, I want us to remember today a young man named Corporal Andrew Wilford. I first heard of Andrew Wilford nearly a year ago when I was at the Minnesota State Capitol as the House prepared to take a vote on whether or not to introduce legislation that would amend the state constitution to define marriage as being between one man and one woman. My wife, Juliana, and I were there on that emotional night, as were many of you, as our voices filled the Capitol as we stood for equality and freedom to marry. That night, State Representative John Creasel, a first-term Republican from Cottage Grove, he spoke from the floor of the House before the vote was taken. You essentially heard the first part of his speech when he talked about this incident in Iraq, what happened to him when this landmine went off in his Humvee. I shared that in our reading this morning. Here's the rest of what he said. I thought that's where my life was going to end after this landmine went off. And I remember thinking about my wife and my kids. That's what crossed my mind. That's what I was thinking about my wife and my children. The love, the love I have for them. That experience woke me up, he says. It changed me. Because of that experience, it made me think about this issue, this amendment they were debating, and say, you know what? What would I do without my wife? 
She makes me happy. Life is hard. And happiness is so, so hard to find for people. And so someone finds it. They find it with someone who makes them happy. They love that person. And we say to them, you can be together. You can love that person, but you can't marry them. That's wrong, said John Creasel. That's wrong, and I disagree with it. I joined the military when I was 17 because I love this country, and I love this state, and I love what it stands for. I remember my drill sergeant telling us, all of us young 17-year-old kids, you're going to face two things, the hard right and the easy wrong. It's easy to go with the flow, to go with the current, but a lot of times that ends up being wrong. It is hard to take a stand against a group of people you may be close with or to stand up for something that may not be popular, but it's the right thing to do. And he paused in this speech, and then he continued. He said, this amendment doesn't represent what I went to fight for. This doesn't represent that. A little bit earlier, he said, I passed this around, this photo of a gentleman named Corporal Andrew Wilford. He gave his life in Afghanistan on February 27th of 2011. He hit an improvised explosive device while keeping us safe, protecting our freedoms, giving us the right to have this debate tonight. He was gay. He was gay. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot look at this family and look at this picture and say, you know what, Corporal? You were good enough to fight and to die for your country and to give your life, but you are not good enough to marry the person you love. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I will not do that. And when my grandkids look at me, he said, and they say, Grandpa, where'd you stand on this issue? I'll be proud to look at them and say, you know what? I was on the right side of history. I was on the right side of history. And so this morning, I want us to remember. I want us to remember Andrew Wilford and his family. I want us to know and remember that after that marriage prohibition amendment was put on the 2012 ballot in Minnesota, Andrew's parents, Jeff and Lori Wilford, they created Andrew's Round Table, an organization dedicated to having civil discussion about same-sex marriage, about freedom and the Constitution, and an organization dedicated to ultimately defeating the amendment in November. Andrew's parents, some of you know, they were here in this, in this church last October because Andrew's round table brought in Randy Robert Potts, the gay grandson of Oral Roberts, to speak. We hosted one of those speaking events, and Randy spoke against the marriage prohibition amendment. On that night, Lori and Jeff also spoke to us. They reminded us that Andrew and everyone who serves in the armed forces takes an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And as Lori said that night, the Constitution our son died for was intended to protect rights, not to deny them. He died protecting rights that he himself did not enjoy, especially the right to marry the person he loved. 
for Jeff and Lori and countless others, the fact that this marriage prohibition amendment would constitutionally limit the rights of gay and lesbian Minnesota citizens feels like a particular slap in the face. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this sort of slap in the face is not new. Many of you will remember in World War II, African-American soldiers fighting for freedom and democracy in Europe did not enjoy those same privileges at home. And oh, though it is oh so slow at times, the moral arc of the universe does, I believe, slowly bend toward justice. Don't ask, don't tell has been repealed. President Obama, the first sitting president to do so, recently spoke in favor of marriage equality. And in a subsequent interview, he said, we have never gone wrong when we expanded rights and responsibilities to everybody. That doesn't weaken families, that strengthens families. And so today, on this Memorial Day, I want us to hold all of this to remember that first Decoration Day in Charleston, South Carolina, to remember those men and women who boldly announced that the Civil War had been about the triumph of their emancipation, their freedom over a slaveholder's republic, and not about states' rights, nor merely soldiers' valor and sacrifice. I want us to remember the words of State Representative John Creasel. I hope we will remember... Andrew Wilford, and the many, many, many others. Let us remember these human beings. Let us remember their lives, that their lives, as the poet Mary Oliver has said, were something precious to the earth. Let us remember they served something greater than themselves, So on this Memorial Day weekend, then, and in the weeks and the months to come, let us honor the living and the dead, the living and the dead who have served our country, but not just in words or tears or platitudes. Let us honor them by faithfully tending to this fragile, still young, troubled democracy. Let us honor them by bringing them home, by working for peace, by caring for them when they return. Let us honor them by protecting our Constitution and by actively working to expand the rights and responsibilities of all people. Let us honor them by being faithful, engaged, compassionate citizens of this world. May it be so. And amen.